the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website, and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. For episode two of season three of the podcast, I will be joined shortly by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland, and we'll look for silver linings in what has been a mixed bag of results for this offseason for Colorado football. We'll start with the CU coaching staff, which is now fully in place after a 60% turnover from last season. An upgrade overall, is this group prepared to compete for quality recruits and to put together a better product on the field in 2022? We then move on to talk about the CU roster for this fall. The Buffs have around the 85-man limit for scholarship players, but we know that another 5-10 to 10 players will join the team over the next few months, which position groups are in the greatest need? Finally, we'll look at CU in the advent of the Buffs Nil Exchange. Is CU too late to join the party? Or is this the beginning of something great for the program? Let's find out. Okay, and we're back. I'd like to welcome in Brad Geiger from Highlands Ranch. How's Brad doing this evening? Been good, busy week, but uh, glad to take a break and talk about the buffs rather than some of the other stuff I got to talk about this week. <laughs> okay, and once again, looking down upon the peons of Larimer Square is Neil Langland. How's Neil doing? Yeah, only about three inches down here. Um, it was cold all day, but um, I'm ready to talk some CU buffs. Haven't had much else to think about lately so well it's good that you've been thinking about the bus because it is you know the heart of the off season that uh, we have another signing day coming up but it's going to be a quiet signing day then before long it'll be spring ball and we'll be talking about another transfer portal in and out group and then fall camp and then who knows what happens come september and tcu coming to boulder so since we last talked, we finalized the coaching staff for 2022, picked up a wide receiver coach. And of course, it has to be a name I can't pronounce, but it looks like it's McGagan, 42 years old, most recently with the LA Chargers for three years. He did coach wide receivers at college in Eastern Carolina and South Florida. I don't know if you guys saw the video of him talking to coaches or talking to his players. And indicating that uh, if you want to play, you will block. And 
using words that uh, we can't use on a PG podcast, but he was pretty emphatic about uh, if you wanted to play as a receiver for him, you are going to be able to block. So, Brad, any any thoughts on rounding out the uh, the coaching staff, our last new hire? He's exactly the kind of guy you expect. Carl has chosen, has decided to go with men who, while perhaps not extraordinarily successful, are extraordinarily experienced. These guys know how to coach their positions. There is, they know the fundamentals. They know how to make players get better. I think this is a coaching staff designed to try to develop players. Um, I think Carl believes understands that Colorado is going to have to compete with lesser recruits. And so he's bringing in a coaching staff that hopefully will get, that he hopes will get the most out of the people we can get. Okay. Neil, would would you concur that uh, this is, we've been searching for what is Carl Durrell's philosophy? Is that uh, as close as we're going to get to a coaching philosophy that uh, with the new coaches that you see that this is the direction he's going, that uh, we're not going to necessarily recruit four stars, but we're going to develop four stars? I think that's the only path available to CU now. I think Brad's right. These coaches seem to be sort of fundamentalists in a sense that they're going to stress discipline. They're going to stress teamwork and will tolerate, you know, no tomfoolery. So, that's good. And I think that's part of what Durrell does too. He's a disciplinarian and a fundamentals coach. We'll see how they can develop. We just don't know yet. It's good that he has some Southern California exposure where hopefully he'll be some doing some recruiting. Um, the rest of the staff, you know, some shuffling around. I think the new D-line coach uh, and our current DC moving to outside linebackers, that's probably... Uh, in some, an upgrade to that side. And I, I think the offensive line coach is probably going to be one of the most crucial hires and his progress, along with our strict, strength and conditioning coach, excuse me, that's going to be key to how this team gets through spring ball, fall camp, and then ultimately the first three or four games of the season. I'm hopeful that the O-line coach is going to be in the mold of some of the ones that have been here before, like Cable, that have had some pro experience. And maybe he can get that group, get their heads on straight and unteach what they were taught by his predecessor and get back to being a fundamental sound line. Okay. Well, Brad, the, you know, yeah, everyone was talking at the end of the season that Carl Durrell couldn't stand Pat with a four and eight result and nobody was happy with it. And well, he took in and six new coaches. So he overhauled 60% of his coaching staff. And for those that have been on vacation in Tahiti, that's the wide receiver coach that we we're just talking about. Phil McGagan, uh, Mike Sanford, of course, his new offensive coordinators, uh, Rod Chance coming in at running back. It's uh, I'm sorry, cornerbacks coach, Clay Patterson, tight ends and passing game coordinator, Kyle Devan at O line and Vic Soto at defensive line. So it seems to me, Brad, that 
other than Mike Sanford, the general consensus was positive for pretty much all of the new mm-hmm. hires, or at least, if not ecstatic, at least thinking that it was perhaps upgraded all those positions, or at least didn't go didn't get worse. But other than Mike Sanford, it seems to be some pretty positive feedback and new about all the new assistant coaches. There were coaching problems last year. It felt like a team that was not always sufficiently disciplined, although it got better. A uh, team that did not always seem to understand what its personality was. A team that in some ways lacked the fundamentals. I th- I'm not surprised that the fans generally liked the hires because all of those addressed the issues that the fans were concerned about. I don't think Carl is listening to the fans, but I think he is seeing the same things the fans were concerned about and seems to be hiring people to address. So, you know, again, the, the, the window is not always open forever, but Carl at least is trying to make this team better and he's making it better by making changes on the people he hires. Um, there's a certain level of accountability there and that feels good. Okay. Well, Neil, what uh, sort of one to 10 or one to a hundred grade or ABC grade, what would you uh, give Carl Durrell's hires? for the off season of 2021-22? Well, it's trying to assign a grade after maybe the first week of class. But I think on net, it's an upgrade, and I would give it a B- minus if I were to try to assign a grade to it. Um, I just add to earlier comments, I think that the secondary coach, the, the corners coach probably is almost a wash with our, our secondary coach from last year. Uh, and I'm hoping that the safeties coach and perhaps the tight ends coach probably can help both sides of the ball be, as Brad said, establish more of an identity, establish more discipline, and have a sense that they're all going in the same direction at the same time. Okay. Well, let's talk about the roster that these men are going to be coaching. Much has been made about the turnover on the roster. About roughly a quarter of the team entered the transfer portal. Uh, most notably, you know, of course, three defensive backs, Christian Gonzalez, Mark Perry, Makai Blackman, going to respectively Oregon, TCU, and USC. Jared Broussard is slated to go to Oregon. I don't think he's officially signed on, but I saw one picture of him. I don't know if you guys saw this, that he was having his picture taken. He was wearing reading glasses, be in sitting in front of a wall of Nike shoe boxes, reading Phil Knight's book, um, having his picture taken. So I'm sure he got paid lots of money to endorse Nike. So Perhaps Jared Broussard is going to become uh, an Oregon duck. Um, nine of the players that left CU have yet to find new homes, which is roughly equal to the national average. About 50% of the Pac-12 players, according to the NCAA website, have not yet found homes. We've covered this a little bit before, but, you know, Brad, panic mode, don't care, good attrition. What do we make of CU having one of the highest rates of attrition in the NCAA this year? 
Well, I mean, it's a really narrow window. Okay, yeah, we're a couple higher than this or a few higher than that. Most of this is necessary attrition. You know, see you at the game, the brilliant writer that runs that website pointed out that Gonzalez, Broussard, Rice, maybe Dimitri Stanley, Blackman, are losses. There's no doubt about that. That leaves 16 other players that, honestly, we're not going to substantially contribute at seed. Would we like to not lose guys like Gonzalez, particularly, who I think is the biggest loss of the bunch? Yeah, of course. But as we've all pointed out, that is the nature of football right now. Whether that will settle down or not, we don't know. But especially when his coach got fired, or excuse me, got hired at Oregon, you know, part of what's going to continue to happen is coaches going to poach their old players. That has happened before. It will happen in the future. This is just what we're dealing with. So, yeah, I'm frustrated. I would prefer those players were going to be with our program. But of the other 16, um, next year we won't remember who they were. Yeah. Well, Neil, would you concur? I mean, there are some names that uh, were surprises when they entered the portal that haven't found homes. Josh Watts, our punter, was number six in the nation last year in punting, hasn't found a home. Dimitri Stanley, who uh, perhaps infamously now, you know, gave an interview where he said he's looking for a place where he can get 70 to 80 touches a year, which I don't know if that's going to happen unless he finds some, you know, junior high team that will uh, that will start him. Chris Miller, you know, another defensive back that's left. Two linemen, Chance Lytle, Kane and Ray. Uh, those guys still haven't found homes. So other than the top four or five players, are you uh, satisfied that there was good attrition at the University of Colorado? I think Brad's right. A lot of the kids that have found homes have gone down one, two, or three levels um, in the football food chain. And there may be reasons other than their level of talent. The big four that we lost, that really hurts. And I'm not sure if they're running to a better NIL or a better team or a better offense or defense for their skills. But it's somewhat disturbing that we've lost some of our best talent. And I'm not sure if that's a commentary on the coaching staff, on the coaching philosophy, on offensive or defensive schemes. But to me, that is the, in the old cars with the warning lights, that's kind of a flashing warning light to me that something may not be quite right um, there in Boulder. And maybe they can straighten it out between now and next fall. It'll be interesting to see. The other side of the portal, the, the input side, um, I think we've had the kid from Alabama probably will contribute. Uh, the receiver sure looks like he'll contribute. We need to see more on the input side. Maybe, as you mentioned, after spring ball, we'll get to see uh, some input, some inflow from, from other Power 5 schools, hopefully, uh, that can fill holes, especially in the, in the lines. And that's going to be the interesting part to come as far as the transfer portal is concerned now. And of the 21 that have gone in, in as you point out, so many haven't found a home. It may be that, that that's going to settle down over time and we're going to see fewer and fewer people 
taking the transfer portal path. That was a mouthful. Sorry. Well, no, I, I think folks are not going to find the grass is always the, the, the turf is always greener. You know, Dimitri Stanley is going to have to play Division Two ball to get seventy catches. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, he was. I think you're right, Brad. And I was. I think Stanley didn't have a very good year, not necessarily because he didn't have a lot of catches, but it didn't seem like he was healthy for the entire year. Plus, he may not have been open a lot of times, too. That could have contributed to part of the trouble in the passing games. So some of these players may have an inflated opinion of their skill set, and we'll see how that works out. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about what we do have rather than what we've lost. Uh, you kind of touched on a little bit. There have been four players coming in via the transfer portal. Chance Main from Incarnate Word, defensive lineman. Uh, you talk about Tommy Brown, the offensive lineman from Alabama. R.J. Sneed is probably the the highlight or the highest rated of the in newcomers. Uh, wide receiver from Baylor actually led the team in 2020 in receiving, was second on the team. All Big 12 as a wide receiver. And then uh, who knows the, the wild card, the Houston quarterback, Maddox Cop coming in, who's basically coming in as a high school freshman or would be a redshirt freshman. Two other players since we last talked, Jason Oliver, defensive back coming in as a freshman, defensive back from California, had offers from Utah, Cal, Oregon State, and a lot of the big powers in the Mountain West, like Boise State and things like that. Van Wells, offensive lineman from Texas, you know, a normal high school kid, 6'2", 300 pounds. Got a lot of those running around. I just never get over that idea that there's 300-pound high school kids running around, and that's just normal these days. Didn't have the, quite the offer sheet. Was offered by, like, Air Force, Navy, Dartmouth. He's not lacking for brain power, but uh, not getting a whole lot of offers. He did get some other offers like from Houston and places like that. Of the newcomers we haven't talked about since the recruiting class of 2022 signed in December, Brad, did anybody stand out or just more of the same quality, but not necessarily star power? If I told you at the beginning of December that we're going to trade R.J. Sneed for Dimitri Stanley, you'd take that trade. Okay, this is an accomplished wide receiver. Yeah, he's not a, uh, he doesn't have as much eligibility as we would like, but this is somebody who knows how to play the game um, and who I think is going to be, he will be on the field starting in spring practice. Darrell thinks he's something he tweeted. Today we got better. And so I think that's probably, he's the one I'm perhaps most interested in. Uh, Chance Maine, I think. He's one of those really interesting guys. Some of these guys take a long and winding road to get to football, <laughs> uh, to get to see you football. Um, and I know that he's had some struggles with it, but I like him. I think he can play a little bit. I think he's another guy who can push for some time. Okay. Well, I'll leave it to the LR offensive line expert to talk about the rest. Okay. Well, <laughs> just to you know, give you a number here, Neil, just on the class as a whole right now, most Buff fans would not buy into this, but the recruiting class of 2022 at the University of Colorado was ranked third in the Pac-12, uh, ranked 40th nationally. 
And for all those that say, well, it's just a numbers game that it's overinflated because other schools don't have that high of a recruiting class, the average star rating is 2.86 for this class. You go back a couple of years, Mel Tucker's big class that everybody wants to compare this to. It's like, why can't we recruit my, like Mel Tucker? This class is ranked 40th. Mel Tucker's class was ranked 33rd. His average star rating was 2.92 for his recruits and including four four-star players that aren't with the program anymore. While this class has a 2.86 average rating. So why is it that nobody's excited about the Carl Durrell class of 2022 when we were all doing handstands for the Mel Tucker class of 2020? Oh, boy, a tough question. Um, let me think about that for a second and go back to something that Brad said about this edge rusher, the defensive lineman. Um, we lost Carson Wells and we're looking for a replacement. This kid may fit that bill. And I wonder if they're going to try to plug him in there into that OLB slot. Um, with regard to how we're doing vis-a-vis uh, -vis, um, previous classes, the numbering, the average stars, probably higher than I expected. But my sense is that the fan base is not excited about it, and I'm not terribly excited about it, in that it resembles many other classes that we've seen come through here. And as yet, there's no reason to differentiate that indifference we had to those previous classes to this one. Um, and just a note in passing, Mel Tucker, I believe Michigan State lost 17 players to the portal. So maybe that's a commentary on how Michigan State's doing or how they're recruiting up there. Couldn't resist. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, at this point, the class, well, the roster is right about the 85-man limit. Now, there's plenty of time between now and August 1st, and there's certainly going to be a lot of fluidity. That's a word, right? Fluidity? Sure. In the roster between now and August 1st, there's going to be more losses, there's going to be more gains. What position groupings, Brad, would you like to see Colorado improve upon between now and fall camp of 2022? What If we're kind of set, we might get a few more players here on February 2nd, Groundhog Day, a couple more official visits. You might add a couple more members to the class of 2022. But springing forward to after graduation in May, when the transfer portal heats up again, what does CU need to be looking for? And, of course, that also means we're going to be losing present members from the roster to make room for those guys. So where can CU improve um, unit by unit looking forward to the fall of 2022? Well, it ain't tight end. Uh, <laughs> I want more. We might be down to six. I mean, I we might be down to six. Who knows? <laughs> I would like more large, strong human beings. I would like a couple more guards, and I'd like a couple more defensive tackles. If I had Madrothers, I'd like this team to get bigger, and I'd like this team to get stronger. I think actually at the edges. And in the skill positions, we're going to be fine. And the quarterback room is vastly better. That said, we need large people to protect the quarterback and large people to rush him. Okay. 
Well, Neil, we did get one plug-in, hopefully a plug-in play from the Alabama Tommy Brown coming in. Of course, we thought we were going to get that with Max Ray from Ohio State last year. So offensive linemen, even if they are good, they have a tendency not to be healthy. Um, would you concur with Brad that the needs, greatest needs are in the line, or are there other positions, position groupings that you'd like to see improvement? I always agree with Brad because he's an insightful observer of the human condition, especially that of CU Bucks. Um, he's giving you nil money. Is that what this is all about? He's <laughs> I'm wearing Brad and you're giving him something under the table. <laughs> you don't have to be so, under the table anymore. That's yes, the yes. <laughs> Oh, no kidding. Yeah, we've that which has always existed now is just seen the light of day, yeah. probably. But back to the your question, I did a little experiment here. I pulled down the last depth chart from the CU website, and I just kind of went through position group by position group crossed off the graduates, crossed off the, the uh, transfer portal people, and kind of plugged in those that have, have come in. And I think the wide receiver group is going to be okay. Um, I think the quarterback room is better. We need someone to emerge from that group. We have no idea yet who it's going to be. I'd like to be able to see Shroud stay healthy and provide some competition. That would be nice. The tight ends, yeah, there's two left on the depth chart from last fall. Caleb Foria, I'm waiting for him to resemble his uncle a little more and start getting into games and making a difference. But what I'm trying to look at the O-line, and I'm trying to find out from the depth chart and the new guys, who are the best five, you know, without regard to position. And it still seems we're a little short there. It's not clear who's going to play where, whether the kid from Alabama, if they're going to plug him in on the left or the right side, what's going to happen to the tackle that's displaced there? Will they move that guy inside? Um, we're in flux with the center position because one of the prospects is having some legal trouble. It's not clear who's going to fit in there. Uh, Lichtenhand could be a possible player there. He's got the size. He got it a few snaps last year. Hopefully he'll come around. So I agree with Brad. Big bodies, mobile, uh, smart, and I'm not sure all of them are on campus yet. With respect to the uh, defensive side and special teams, I think we've got an able substituted punter. We're good for place kicking. I'm optimistic about corners and safeties because some of those kids showed up at the end of last season. And we're not going to replace Gonzalez completely, but there are some kids there that look like they have the potential to be pretty good. So I think that that's a relative strength. Um, we lost linebackers. Not sure where they're going to come from. But again, toward the end of the year, we had a couple of the young guys show that they had some physical tools. Maybe they can be molded into a cohesive group. And that leaves us now to the D-line where we lost uh, Johnson and not sure where the where they're going to come from to play that position. And, and that's a real position of need. And that's why I, I agree with Brad is that as go the lines, so goes the teams. And we have yet to see the needed improvement in both of those position groups. Okay. Well, I would pretty much agree with what you guys were saying 
quarterbacks. We finally have a quarterback room that has several chairs taken, which is an improvement. But again, you know, if you have four C plus B minus quarterbacks, you still are missing the quarterback. So it should be an interesting competition this spring, but hopefully, as you guys mentioned, somebody will step up. Running backs, you got Fontenot, Deion Smith, and Victor Vins coming in. They might get another running back. I think that's all that's pretty likely to be at least one more running back, either as a freshman or you know, coming as a transfer. Uh, wide receiver, I agree with Montana Lamonius Craig and Daniel Arias. I mean, I, I think we've got Chance Penry is stepping, becoming a real leader in, in that core. I think we're pretty good on wide receiver. Linebackers, I'm not as concerned. You got Quinn Perry, you got Robert Barnes, Jack Lamb, Marvin Ham. I think there are, again, it's kind of like the quarterbacks. There's numbers. We just need to have somebody step up and be real dominant. Mm-hmm. Cornerback, I'm pretty happy with Nico Reed, Nigel Bethel. I think we're pretty good there. But the safety position, if you wanted to give me other than defensive and offensive line, I think that's probably the position where I would ask for, beg for, hope for a nice senior transfer, graduate transfer, uh, a safety with some experience. So, but again, to get one, you got to lose one. So there's going to be any, any name body we get, whether it's on February 2nd on signing day or through the transfer portal is going to be another name lost on the current roster. So it's not set in stone, but we're probably at at least 75 to 80 of what we're going to have for this fall. So to be determined whether or not it's going to work, does it seem like Colorado has failed the transfer portal so far? Four names in, 21 names out. You've got teams like USC that are basically building their roster. Oregon's taking whatever they want. Arizona, of all teams, is doing remarkably well. Why can't Colorado sell playing time and get players to come in through the transfer portal? Why why is CU so far behind the curve, or is CU not behind the curve? Maybe I'm overstating it. Because we haven't been as good as USC and Oregon? Or Arizona. So it's Arizona, not just- I mean, Arizona, yeah, is bizarre. And we're going to have to figure out what's going on there and if that's actually going to translate to wins. But, I mean, we're going to sit here and complain and try to understand how come two schools with vastly more money, one of which you just went out and bought the most available coach in the country or the most, the biggest hire in the country, and Oregon, which essentially just gold plates their offer letters to new players and why we're losing to them. You know, I this goes back to system. Are we ahead of the curve on the transfer portal? No. Are we as far behind mid-level big five conferences? Not really, no. I mean, every conference is going to have its haves and its have-nots. Um, and right now we are not Oregon or USC, just like Vanderbilt is not Alabama or Georgia. And, you know, Nebraska ain't anybody. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Good so, for you, you know, Brad. <laughs> um, no, I wish it was better. Of course I wish it was better. But 
I don't think, I think the roster going into next fall is arguably as good or better than the one that we started last fall with. Okay. How about you, you Neil, are you as optimistic as, as Brad is, or are you pessimistic like me that uh, Colorado doesn't seem to be taking advantage? Is it the fact that 60% of the coaching staff turned over and that might've had some delaying effect on C's ability to attract transfers, but it seems like schools that are trying to climb up above sub-mediocrity would want to use the transfer portal as a a means of, you know, a quick fix, if you will. It used to be the junior college route or the graduate transfer route. That would be the way to try and supplement your roster and get a quick fix for units that are deficient. Well, is Colorado missing out or are you not as concerned? Which way are you leaning? Well, I was very concerned about NIL in the portal. Uh, CU's lack of um, organization with respect to NIL. And in terms of what CU has done so far, I think if we were to do a grade, a midterm grade, they would be, as far as they've handled the portal, about a C minus, and they're behind in, in their term paper. And probably we won't be able to give them a good grade until after spring ball, and we see how the attrition and the inflow balances out there. But up to this point, I think not having coaches definitely was a disadvantage. Uh, I think players need to know their position group coach and not knowing who that is or what the offense was going to be was probably a big detriment to some kids. After C was being able to lay down some evidence of what they're hoping to be, hopefully that will attract some players. And I'm hopeful at least that they have an opportunity to fill in some of the holes they have now. None of it's going to come through NIL, I think. Um, Brad's right. We just were a have not. And for one reason or another, there just hasn't been much movement at CU for that, either among the fan base or the school. So I think it's all going to have to come from just traditional addition of players um, at the end of spring ball, maybe some JUCO transfers, who knows. But CU has a ways to go yet if they're going to be measurably better on paper than they were last year. Yeah. Well, if the numbers are correct, there will be hundreds and hundreds of players available come May. And, you know, you'd think that schools like CU would have their their pick, um, considering most of the other rosters would be very full. Of course, like you say, CU is going to have their 85-man roster, but in terms of upgrading and keeping the you know giving the opportunity to play, CU's certainly going to have more opportunity to show players that hey, you can come in and start at safety, uh, you can come in and start on defensive line. You don't have to worry about being second or third on the on a depth chart. You're going to play right away. So that leads us to the NIL, and once again, seemingly that Colorado is. At best, slow on the uptake. At worst, completely failing to participate. The Buffs NIL exchange is now open for business. Some seven, eight months after July 1st, it became opportunity. Oregon already has 58 of its 85 players having nil opportunities. 
what are we missing? Is it just the boosters not chiming in? Is it the university not seeking out boosters to give money? Brad, where, who's, who's at fault here? Because it's not the schools that are supposed to be in charge of NIL opportunities. It's supposed to be outside forces. It's not supposed to be school-sponsored. But it does seem to be that uh, the University of Colorado is, like with the transfer portal, somewhat slow on the on the uptake here. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I don't know if it's a lack of organization in the Buff Club. I don't know where this happened. I like Rick and George, but I think this was an area where he probably needed to have put somebody in charge a while ago. So, yeah, this this feels like we're trying to catch up. Again, this doesn't make it completely unusual, but I think there is our donors available. But this has to be a deeply and highly organized process. And right now we're running around looking like a kindergarten class trying to get to, through the museum. And this has to get better and it has to get better now. Yeah. Well, Neil, you know, the stories about, you know, now they're the new word in the NIL is collectives where, you know, these outfits or booster clubs or whatever are getting pooling dollars and funneling money to players. I was listening to, uh, LeVar Arrington, the former Penn State player on one of the talk radios, Fox Sports. And he was talking about when he was a recruit, how, you know, he was offered by a school a place to stay, a job for his mom, all sorts of things. And this was, you know, decades ago. They talked about it matter of factly that this was, you know, the way it always was, always is. And now it's just above board. Is it just, you know, Colorado's the goody two shoes of the group. I mean, we have Ted Boyle that's always been very outspoken about playing by the rules. Colorado's out there playing by the rules, but nobody else is. Is that Colorado's problem? And now we don't understand how the rules are of the game or how the game is played because CU hasn't been playing the game the whole time. Well, I think this is a great opportunity to tout how CU has had clean programs for years and years under Tad Boyle, certainly as clean as it gets in college basketball. And I'm sure Rick George has run a tight ship. And so a feather in our cap for being clean now has turned into a distinct disadvantage because we simply don't have the experience in doing what has been going on for a long time. So we need to have someone step forward to get this thing organized. I'm not sure who that's going to be, but there, as you mentioned, are big boosters. I'm just wondering where those people are and why they haven't organized anything yet. And I'm completely befuddled how CU hasn't been able to do anything uh, of substance yet in this area. And if this is going to be the new reality, then CU needs to decide we're gonna play big in this space or not. Okay. Well, where does that leave you, Brad? Are we just saying, okay, this is just kind of a, almost like a COVID year for Colorado in the transfer portal and in the age of nil. We've got our team for 2022 pretty much lined up. We're going to have attrition of five or 10 more, add five or 10 more, but we pretty much got our team. We've got Carl Durrell has his coaching staff. The only holdover anymore is Darian Hagan as the running backs coach, but everybody else is now a very much a Dorrell guy. So where does that leave us for 2022 
one report today, you know, talking about the non-conference schedule that Colorado's the most difficult Pac-12 non-conference schedule, big surprise, where UCLA is playing Bowling Green, Alabama State, and South Alabama before they come and play Boulder or play CU in Boulder, whereas, of course, CU's playing TCU, Air Force, and Minnesota. UCLA is going to come in 3-0. and Colorado might be 0-3. Are we just going to put our blinders on for 2022, hope for the best, hold our nose, and hope that by this time next year, Colorado's figured out the transfer portal and NIL? Or is there brighter days to come even in 2022? I think there's a chance this is a better team in 2022. Not positive that will convert to wins. I hope we don't have days like the Minnesota game. I think, again, it's a tougher it's a tougher schedule, and I hate to keep saying that, but it is. I would love to see this as a five or six win team. They're going to have to get much better to do that. So, yeah, this is a patient year, and it may be that progress is measured in looking better on the field but not necessarily finalizing the wins. I don't want this to be another year like that. It might be. Okay. Is that, uh, Neil, is that how you see things are trending for 2022? That 4-8 uh, was what CU fans endured in 2021, and arguably the roster is good, better, and different, about the same, and the schedule's more difficult. Hard to say late January, early February, but at least right now, not too optimistic that uh, Colorado not taking advantage of the transfer portal, not using nil to its advantage, changeover in the coaching staff that uh, Colorado fans are just going to have to hold their nose and wait for 2023. We have spaces yet to fill. And CU still has a chance this spring to augment its roster and make up for or make up some of the ground that they failed to cover so far this fall and, and winter. Depending upon how that goes, then that's going to go a long way to determine how many wins this team gets, because we certainly have some constraints um, in many parts of the team that unless they have improved dramatically over the offseason, we're going to be about the same quality of team that we were last year, and we have a tougher schedule. I'm not sure how TCU is going to be. Air Force, I've already got that chalked up as a loss just because they're so difficult to prepare for. And I think an 0-3 start is not unlikely at this point. Hopefully, They'll improve over the course of the year. I think that's what we have to hope for is a slow start with steady improvement. And with that, maybe we'll get to five wins. And that's about as far as I can go with it now, based on what we have now. Okay. Well, we have another six or seven months to start putting the, the Kool-Aid together and, you know, mix it up with a little extra sugar and, you know, hope for the best. So, uh, let's end on a high note, Brad. Give us some uh, words of wisdom from Highlands Ranch to uh, send the masses off for the next couple of weeks. This is the time 
as quiet as it is, this is the time that some players will get better. We have to hope they're in the weight room. We have to hope they're watching film. We know they're not being coached, but we have to think that there is evidence that they're trying to get better. I think what we saw last year at the end of the season were players who wanted to get better. Hopefully come spring, come spring practices, they will continue to. I'm not jumping out of my shoes optimistic, but there feels a trajectory that we might be able to build on. Okay. How about you, Neil? Any uh, any positive words of wisdom or any positivity that we can get out of uh, Larimer Square? I, I think that we have to count on a good off-season program. And there's continuity on defense. That's a positive. We've got this, essentially the same OC, the same system. We've got some new coaches in there. It's going to take a time to get that fit up. No idea what the offense will be, but I assume there's going to be new terminology. So that's going to be a drag on progress. And it's probably going to take well into fall camp, if not the first few games, to get that straightened out. We have probably some room for improvement, but I'm, I'm not optimistic that we're going to get to where we need to go. Okay. Well, we'll let that be the last word. Thank you, gentlemen. We will talk again in the next couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. As you know, we'll be coming to you every other week during the off-season. Our upcoming episodes will take a look at position battles as we head into spring practices and what CU fans should be looking for from the 2022 buff roster. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast where you download your podcasts and... If you get a chance, please leave us a rating and a review. It's our third season with the podcast, but we're still trying to get the word out to the Buff Nation, and we could use your support. So, until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, Go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.